listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. Hey, church family, if you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and I want you to find verse 22. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. I get so excited during this time because it's during this time that even though I'm in an empty office, in an empty church building, I still feel closer than I could ever feel to you. And I just believe it's because it's the power in the presence of the Lord as we get ready to worship together, as we get ready to break the bread of life together in the Word. I just, I feel like the Lord draws us in and draws us close. And so I just love that. I love this time with you. And I look forward to the time that we're not in an empty room anymore. Amen. I I look forward to when the doors are open, we're all in the same place and we're singing songs and we're doing all the things that we do the best part of who we are, I've always said, is our people. And so just being together is a big deal for us. And so I look forward to that. It's coming soon. Don't lose hope. Don't get upset. Don't get angry. Let's stay unified in all this and keep loving each other through it. And so I just think it'll be very soon. So we'll we'll know more over these next couple of weeks and hopefully get a date to you pretty soon. But until then, just be praying that God would give us wisdom, give us clarity in what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it. Okay, so... Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. And I want to do a little, a little celebration moment with you, okay? My daughter, Sarah Gracie, turns eight years old today. And so, happy birthday, Sarah Grace. I love you so much. You're an incredible blessing and just excited to celebrate you today. So, we're going to have a good time. So, love you, Sarah Gracie. Proud of you. Happy birthday. All right. So, Matthew chapter 14. In verse 22, we're going to get into a really familiar passage, but I want to give us a little bit of background of what's happened in the first 21 verses. So in the first 12 verses of Matthew 14, we're dealing with the death of John the Baptist. And so remember, this is somebody that has incredible significance in Jesus' life. This is somebody that he loves and cares about dearly. And so Jesus, in verse 13, just finds out about John's death. And so his immediate response is a natural response, that he is wanting to just get by himself and mourn and grieve. But he doesn't get a chance to do that because there are needs that the people have. So many people bringing their sick to Jesus, they actually meet him on the other side where he was going to just have some time alone with his father and and they meet him there and he immediately has compassion on them and he begins to heal and he does this incredible work and we get into the story of how Jesus feeds the 5,000 so he goes from trying to find a little bit of peace and quiet to mourn and and just grieve over his friend John but then ends up spending the entire day and evening ministering to people and so he and the, the disciples are exhausted okay and, and, and also, you need to understand that in this moment, the disciples had seen some incredible things, okay? 
they just saw Jesus take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 15 to 20,000 people, okay? They were serving fish and bread like crazy until all of these people, thousands of them, were satisfied. And then, and then after they were all fed, there were leftovers. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like for 12 guys to serve somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people? I mean, there probably wasn't even much of an opportunity just to sit and think about what they were doing. So this thing must have lasted, it seemed like, forever. And so a long, hard day, but they'd seen some incredible and miraculous things. And you see this incredible ministry that they're doing, but you also see what Jesus is doing with the disciples. And he's teaching them that principle that, listen, you go out and you serve, but I'm always the source of ministry. I'm always the source of compassion. I'm always the fuel for the ministry that you go out and do. You go empty yourselves in ministry, but then you return to me and I will fill you back up and I will send you back out. So that's a really powerful picture that we're seeing here. And so I believe that Jesus sent the disciples out ahead of him, not just so they could get a little bit of rest, but I think he sent them on their own boat so that they could have some time to really think and reflect on everything they had just seen. I mean, they walked intimately with Jesus. And so they knew that his heart was grieving. They knew they were the ones that brought him the news about John the Baptist. They knew that he wanted some time, but then immediately saw the compassion that he had for the people and how he put aside his own grieving to come in and just do ministry and to allow them to be a part of that ministry. And it wasn't just one or two of the disciples that were doing ministry and feeding all these people. They were all working together. I think it's a beautiful picture of the church. So there's some individual lessons to be there about serving until we're empty and then filling back up and always filling back up in the Lord and then getting back out in the game. So I think there's a lot of cool things there individually, but I think there's a great picture too of what the church is supposed to look like, having the compassion in the heart of God and then also serving the people that God places within their reach, having compassion on them and then just loving on them and meeting the needs. I think it's a great picture of the church. So that sets the table for where we're at in verse 22. He says this, he says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. This is that part I was telling you about where I think he sends them out to be able to just think and ponder over what they just experienced, just the, the miracle of what they had just seen. And it says in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I think he finally finds some time with his father and he's finally getting a chance to grieve over the loss of his great friend. But then I also think this is just time that he's praying probably for his disciples. There's a time here where he's trying to I think, lift them up to the Father to help them understand their place and who they are, what they're doing. We don't know all the things that he prayed about. We can only really kind of conjecture that. But we do know that he was praying. And he prayed for a significant amount of time. And the Bible says, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. This is the idea that a storm was already brewing and the waves were rough and it sounds real similar to something that we talked about not very long ago right and so the waves were rough and we know that 
because of what the Bible says in John 6 about this account that they, the boat, when he saw it, they were they had rowed somewhere between three and three and a half miles away from the shore. Okay, And so Jesus is on the shore. He sees them out there. And he decides the best way to get to them is to walk and see them. Here it is. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance, three, three and a half miles from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So again, a little stormy out there. Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning, but during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wow, what an incredible, incredible moment. Sometimes we get lost in the story, and we forget this isn't just a story. This is, this is a historical account that's also a miraculous account. Jesus sees this boat three to three and a half miles offshore. He begins to walk on the water. He's not swimming. He's not wading. He's not on a paddle board. He's not on a kayak, Bill, Stephen Brock, you know what I'm saying? He is walking on water, walking, literally walking on the top of this water. Nobody does that. Jesus did it. And he starts walking. And when he gets close enough to the boat, there's already a little storm brewing, but he gets close enough that the disciples see him. And their immediate reaction, and we see this a few times in Scripture, that their immediate reaction, when they're, when they're not sure about what's going on, is that they jump right to fear. And that seems to be a reaction that we have a lot. When we hear bad news, we go right to fear. When we see something that uh, is out of place or out of the ordinary, we jump right to fear. Listen, the disciples, they were no different than you and I. They saw something that was out of place. They saw to them what the Bible says looked like a ghost, okay? And they were fearful. And the Bible says they cried out in fear. And so I'm not even going to try to demonstrate that what, that, what that must have sounded like or what that must have looked like. But they cried out in fear. But immediately, and I love this so much, immediately when they cried out in fear, Jesus had a response. And that response was to speak to them and say, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now think about that for a second. The moment he heard their cry, and knew that it was fear. 
that they were experiencing. He didn't take time to lecture them in the moment. He didn't take time to preach them a sermon. He didn't send them Bible verses to read. Here's what he did. He acknowledged that he was there. He says, take courage. You don't have to be afraid. Be confident. Be, be assured. Rest in this fact that I am here. It's me. It's I, he says. And then he says, literally, he says, don't be afraid. Now, there's a couple of things that happen there I think are really beautiful. I think there was power in what he said. Very power, very, very powerful what he said. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. I think hearing those words as a command, obviously from the very mouth of Jesus, was very powerful, very strong. And I believe it settled their souls. But I think probably on top of that was the fact that they recognized his voice. If we've got this storm brewing, it's windy, probably a little bit rainy. There's still a good distance. So they really can't maybe see and recognize that it's him. But they hear what's said. And then they recognize his voice. They know it's him. And so now they rest easy. It's not a ghost. It's Jesus. It's not a ghost. We don't have to be afraid. We can take courage. It's him. We don't have to be afraid. Now listen, I don't know what's going on in your heart and I don't know what's going on in your life right now. There is a lot of isolation happening that we don't like. And so maybe there's some anxiety that's raised up in you. Maybe there's some fear. Maybe you're going through something that is totally non-COVID related, but it's eliciting fear in your heart. I want to tell you something. The first thing that you have to remember is that Jesus is here. You don't have to be afraid. You can take courage because Jesus is here. It's him. And here's what I would encourage you with, church. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. Believers, I, we talk about this so much here, and it's because it's so important. We're constantly reminding you to make sure that you're reading your word. Make sure that you're spending significant time in prayer making sure that you're practicing the daily disciplines of your faith. And here's why. Because I think there's a lot of times when we're going through things in our life and I'm telling you, it seems like it's out of control. It seems like it's chaos. Maybe it's bringing fear. Maybe it's bringing anger. Maybe it's bringing alcohol. But listen, I believe there's, a, there's many times when God tries to intervene and show his presence, but we just don't know what he's saying and we can't recognize his voice. And when those two things happen, it's typically because we're not reading the word, we've not been praying, and this event happened in the midst of our spiritual struggle. And so, man, it seems like God's a million miles away when really he's right here. We're just not able to hear what he's saying because our focus is on the loudness of the waves. Come on, church. Our attention is on the storm. And there's so much distance that we've created or that we've allowed by not being in the Word, by not walking in these disciplines, that we just don't recognize His voice.
There's all kinds of voices trying to tell you this and trying to tell you that, trying to make you feel this or trying to make you feel that. But it's his voice that settles. It's his voice that needs to be heard in these moments. And so that's why all the time we're constantly challenging it. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Walk with God so that when these storms raise up, we're able to know and recognize. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be like the disciples who thought this was a ghost and started to panic. We can recognize that it's Jesus and we can hear him say the things. And listen, this is what I tell people all the time. When you're reading consistently through God's word, you are taking in all these precious promises and you start to see the heart of God in God's word and you start to see the promises of God in his word. And so that when he says that he'll never leave you or never forsake you, like you know that that promise is for you as a child of God. When you hear the scriptures tell us that he's near to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit, that he delivers them, like you know that's a promise for you, that when your heart is crushed, when things are falling apart, that he is with you. Like you get that, you understand that, because you have that promise tucked away in your heart, because you're a student of the word, and you want to know what your daddy's teaching you, and you want to be able to hear his voice in the storms. And so, so this is a powerful thing to catch and hold on to, because we need to know what God says, and we need to be, rec- be able to recognize his voice above all other voices. We need to hear him loud and clear, even in the confusion of the storm. Come on, if you're with me, say, I am. That's a powerful teaching from God's word. Well, they realize it's him. And when Peter realizes, I love, I love this guy. Because I relate to him a lot. Peter, in the excitement of the moment, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. You know what he's asking? He's saying, Jesus, look, if that's really you, okay? And I don't think Peter has any doubt that it's Jesus. But he says, if that's you, I want to be able to do what you're doing just like you're doing it. Simply put, Jesus, I want to walk on the water too, <laughs> I mean, here's a guy who's a fisherman who had to be in boats, who's had to get wet trying to get fish. He wants to be able to walk on water. Nobody does that. Jesus did it, but he knows he can make me do it too. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus could have said a lot of things. Peter, come on. You don't don't need to test me like that. Stay right in the boat. You're better off there. He just said, come on, Peter, don't be so selfish. You know, let you walk. If I let you walk on the water, I let everybody walk on the water. There's all kinds of responses that he could have had. But in this moment, he says, come. Come. It's like that moment with my kids. You know, sometimes they'll want something and they fully expect me to say no. Because they've seen me say no in similar circumstances over and over and over and over again. And so when I say yes, there's this incredible excitement. I think there's this moment right here when Peter's probably expecting some sort of lesson, some sort of teaching from Jesus in this moment. But all Jesus says is, come. And that's a license for Peter to get out of the boat and to just go. And so what happens? So Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, 
Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And there's a lot of interesting things here. But I want to share something with you that sort of brought this to light for me this last week. Um, I have a friend, and, and we weren't close, close friends, but we were friends, acquaintances in ministry. Our paths crossed several times, and I just love the heart of this man of God named Brandon Kalicki. And uh, Brandon's a youth pastor at First Baptist Watonga. Man, just an incredible man of God. God's used him in so many different ways throughout his, throughout his short life. But he passed away this last week and uh, had fought cancer off and on. And cancer didn't win. The Lord won, and, and he got his ultimate healing. But before he passed away, before he went into the hospital this final time, uh, he had found out that his cancer had come back, and um, and he was devastated, as you can imagine. He thought he had beat it. He thought it was remission forever, but uh, he had leukemia, and so he thought it was gone, but it, it came back. And so he knew he was getting ready to go into an extensive hospital stay, and he did this devotion, and he talks very candidly about how when he found out cancer was back he just it just crushed him and he just retreated and got with the Lord and just cried and and just was broken over the news and he said there were two things that that God brought to his heart almost immediately to settle his spirit and one of those was this account of where Jesus walks on water and Brandon said something in that testimony and it's on Facebook I'll tag it maybe sometime uh, this week so you can see it and just hear his words because they're very powerful. But he says something that just shook my soul. He said that as he's thinking through and remembering this account of Peter walking on water and how his gaze, his gaze went from being fixed on Jesus to being fixed on the waves, that's when Peter sunk. And he said, it led me to pray this prayer. And I think this is a powerful prayer for all of us to pray, especially in moments like this. He said, I asked the Lord to capture my gaze. Capture my gaze. Capture that moment. Freeze that moment where my eyes are on you. Capture my gaze. If my gaze starts to wander to the waves, starts to wander to the things that are distracting me, the things that are eliciting fear in my life or anxiousness or trouble, whatever it is, like whatever's starting to steal my gaze, whatever that's acting as a wave in this moment to take my gaze off of Jesus, capture my gaze and bring it back to you. And he talked about once he prayed that and believed that, that God began to settle his spirit and he began to face this journey with a supernatural courage that only God can bring in the heart and life of someone that's experiencing that and so maybe you're watching this 
and you're in for the fight of your life. Maybe there's some things going on in your family, things that are going on with your job situation. Maybe things financially are, are a bit scary right now. You've got all these things that are going on and, and all these waves that are hitting your boat. And really, you just want to walk on water. You just want to walk with the Lord and you just want things to be right. And, and you take that step and then all of a sudden these waves start screaming for attention. And what I think is interesting and I think is very powerful and beautiful in this text is that the moment that Peter's gaze leaves Jesus and gets on the waves, it says that he begins to sink as he cries out to the Lord, save me. I think that's a really intimate and powerful moment. It doesn't say that he plunged into the depths, that he sunk completely and was covered up. It just says that the moment he noticed he was starting to sink, he cried out. And it was immediately, immediately, that the Lord saved him. The Bible says that Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. It's the idea of rescuing. He reached out his hand and caught him. I love it that he didn't say first, you have little faith, why did you doubt? The first thing he did was catch him. And it wasn't this condescending, angry, it was, it was that idea. I remember when I was teaching my son to ride his bike. And, you know, I've taught him all the basics, all the things that he's supposed to know. And we go, and, and, and he would do great as long as my hand was on the bike. But when I let go, and he knew that I let go, he just started to panic. And so I was going with him, going with him, I had on, and listen, Every time before, I would let him know that I was letting go. Well, this time, I didn't let him know. And I just let go of the bike, and he was just going and just going and just going and just going. And he turned around to, like, say, Dad, I got this. And he realized that I wasn't there. <laughs> tumble. Okay. And it was, it was a gentle tumble, so he wasn't upset and, and, and all of that. But I can remember saying to my son, Why'd you stop? Why'd you stop pedaling? Why'd you stop? And it wasn't scolding him. I wasn't scolding him. I wasn't getting on to him. He'd been through enough with the fall. Come on. But it was just a daddy going, hey, you didn't have to stop. And I think this is that moment right here. It's, oh, Peter, golly, you had it. You were there. You, you, didn't, you didn't have to, to have a little bit of faith right here. You could have kept your big faith going because you had it. Why'd you doubt? Why'd you stop pedaling? Come on, if you're with me, say I am. That's the heart of the Lord in this moment. And then the Bible says that they climbed into the boat. And I love this. That as soon as they're in the boat, okay, the wind dies down. The storm's over. And with a combination of everything that they saw and experienced, from Jesus walking on the water settling their fear, Peter walking on the water, being rescued by the Lord, the little lesson they got to experience in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter, and then the storm just stopping. The Bible says that in light of all that, they worshipped him. And if there was any doubt that he was the Son of God, I think it was put to rest in this moment. Truly, 
You are the Son of God. Now listen, you may be in that moment where you're crying out to the Lord. And I want you to understand something. Before he teaches you a lesson, before he coaches you on how to do better, you need to understand that his hand is right there to rescue you right now. This morning, if you'd say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've messed up. I, I, I've, been, I've allowed myself to be consumed by fear. I've allowed myself to get lost in this or that. Whatever your circumstance, you know what it is. That's between you and the Lord. But God, I need your hand. Rescue me. And the hand of the Lord is there to rescue those who are his. Man, he loves you like crazy. I think he'd say, you didn't have to stop pedaling. We got this. We're all right. And maybe your prayer this morning would be, capture my gaze to keep my, keep my eyes and my heart steadfast and focused on you. Remember this, church. Remember this, child of God. Jesus loves you. Golly, he loves you so much. And he is almighty. He is all-powerful. You can take courage. You don't have to be afraid. And if you fail and you've fallen or you find yourself sinking, he's there to rescue. There's a lot of powerful truth that we've walked through today. But he loves you, and these truths are for you. Now, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, why not? Why wouldn't you surrender your heart and life to Jesus today? My Bible says that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again to pay the price for sin, your sin, my sin, our mess-ups. And that if we would believe in those powerful truths, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again to pay in the price for us, if we believe that, we trust in that, we could be saved. You say, Micah, I want that. I need to do that. I want that. God's been working on my heart. I just didn't know how to, to take the next step or what to do. Listen, this is it. You don't know God, but you want to be saved. You want to give your heart and life to Jesus. This is for you. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to do this. Bow your heads, close your eyes, because you don't know who may be walking through this right there next to you. If you're alone, you're watching this by yourself, I still I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Because I want you to focus on what the Lord has spoken to your heart about today. If you don't know Jesus, I want to pray with you. I want to help you. I want to guide you through exercising the faith that you have in your own heart for these powerful truths. You say, I want to be saved. Okay, I want to help you. I want you to pray with me. And understand, my words aren't going to save you. Repeating my words are not going to save you. It's what God's doing in your heart, and it's the belief in these powerful biblical truths that lead to salvation. And it's your faith in those truths. Would you pray with me? You say, Jesus, I know I've messed up. I know I've done wrong things. But right now, the best way I know how, the best way I understand it, I ask you to save my soul. I believe, Jesus, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again to pay the price for my sin. And I want to give my life to you. I want to serve you with all that I have and all that I am. Lord Jesus, save me. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to tell somebody. 
there's somebody in the room with you, I want you to share that with them. And you can even share it with the whole room if you want to. Maybe you need to share it in a private message. You'll see my Facebook, my email, all that stuff. That contact is on the is on our website. It's on the stream that you're watching right now. You can leave a comment. We'll get back to you, whatever. But you need to tell somebody. Maybe you're watching this and you already know the Lord. But God has spoken to you about these powerful promises and given you some insight into this powerful text that's medicine for your soul. We're getting ready to worship. One of my favorite songs is Waymaker. It says that he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and a light in the darkness. As we acknowledge these powerful characteristics of God in this song, would you understand they are also biblical promises for his kids? He knows how to make a way when there is no way. He has the power to work miracles that you and I can't even think or understand. He keeps every promise that he's ever made. And hallelujah, what a Savior. And he is most definitely the brightest and best light in the darkness. And that light is a light that rescues. I love you, church. Let's take this time and let's worship together.